really most of the team's fuel for running the company is about meaning and about trying to find ways to live that are more fulfilling. Like as a whole, I think the frame for talking about transparent trade, which is Rocco's commitment to um, how we source our cocoa beans, uh, comes from this place of saying, you know, how do we thrive as individuals and for us? Yeah. Welcome to Dig In, the podcast that lives at the intersection of hospitality and entrepreneurship. Here we will explore the stories of the owners, operators, and curators of America's hottest hospitality concepts, sharing a deeper look at the people delivering excellence from their mind's eye to your taste buds. I'm your host, Zach Woods, and I'm ready to dig in. Hey everybody, welcome again to Dig In. Thanks for joining us. Today, I have one of the most energetic individuals that we've had on Dig In, Mr. Ryan Chaney from Reka Chocolate. Please give a quick introduction to yourself and uh, let the people know who they're listening to today. Yeah, so I'm Ryan Chaney, as introduced. I started Reka Chocolate almost 10 years ago now. Uh, started it really... The inspiration came from uh, a yoga retreat in Thailand and a simpler approach to chocolate making. Uh, and then fed into that was this love for team building and creating work cultures that are more, uh, like, I don't know, more human, basically, than a typical job. Um, so, yeah, fast forward nine and a half years and we've got ourselves a small bean-to-bar chocolate company that's been growing and making good progress. Out in Red Hook, Brooklyn, right? Yeah, we're in Red Hook, right where we sit right now. At yeah, the factory. So you're you're actually our second episode that we've done in Red Hook. We uh, we profiled a, a place called Grindhouse, which if if you haven't been, you should go. Really wonderful cuisine there. But I, I think there's something really interesting happening in Red Hook, and we'll touch on that a little bit later in the episode. But uh, I, I just to kind of allude to people that. There will be more Red Hook love because people seem to really like you know, anywhere there's not a train, people are like, <laughs> yeah, I love that place. Yeah, you know? exactly. Anywhere there's like impossible to get to, they're like, yeah. oh yeah, that's where I want to be. <laughs> so you can live here and not be in a commuter center. Exactly. It's really nice. <laughs> exactly. Now, do you live in uh, in Red Hook? Um, no, I live in downtown Brooklyn. Okay. So you you do commute back and forth. Yep. Exactly. And you're a bike guy, right? I'm a bi- every bike every day to work for sure. Yeah, those veins, man. Yeah, yeah, I exactly. knew something was happening. They don't translate to audio, but they're here. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do. I think, visual poetry to describe them. Later I think before. people can hear it. I think people can hear <laughs> totally. it. So, so first section that we come to is open for business. So you alluded to you know opening this uh, opening this company, this brand, and now obviously the the factory that we're sitting in, where you have warehousing and mass scale distribution to Whole Foods and various other brands that are nine and a half years of success story in the making, yep. right? But I'd love to go back to 10 years ago yep. when you were like, I really want to start a chocolate shop and I'm going to do it. Yep. What, like, talk me through a little bit of that first feeling when you were like, this is my damn chocolate bar and I'm going to bring this out into the market. Like, talk to me a little bit about how that felt. If you can recall nine and a half years ago, I'm yeah, sure you do. I can, definitely. I can definitely recall. So, um, where I was, was, uh, at a yoga school in Thailand. It was a tantric yoga school and it was a magnet for people all over the world who wanted to take spiritual practice more seriously. 
So a lot of these folks would essentially currency leverage. They'd make, you know, a couple thousand dollars in their home countries and then say, let's convert this to Thai bot where I can live for, you know, you know, a tenth of the price of whatever I would live at home, right? Um, and there, there were a lot of people who were taking meditation seriously and taking yoga seriously um, and having interesting conversations about all kinds of very like eccentric techniques from like sleep yoga and sound yoga to like astral projection. But there was also a lot of interest in, um, in food there. And, you know, people were doing experimental diets like a black rice only diet. I only eat black rice sometimes with sesame oil for like, you know, a week and a half. And how does that make you feel? So it was very much like an experiment ground. Like people were, um, you know, very much bright eyed um, and full of interesting conversation of like how they were experimenting um, with themselves, with their consciousness in their life. Um, and in that setting, there was a raw chocolate aphrodisiac truffle making class that someone was taking and charging folks like, you know, 20 bucks a head and she's rolling around a suitcase full of herbs. Which is, which is a major business. In, yeah, exactly. Yoga studio. You can make that happen. If you want to, yeah, fund your travels, you can carry such a suitcase, get people's attention. Um, <laughs> such a remix on the, the kid that bought the candy at the store and then brought it to school and sold it for triple the price. Exactly, exactly. We actually had a, a William Widmeyer, who used to wrap taco bars here, who had a lunchroom business in... I think middle school doing exactly that. It was pop tarts though. He would oh buy pop tarts and he he bought a pop, a toaster and would toast and sell toasted pop tarts. Was he buttering them? Um, I don't think so. But it was like he was the premium was I'm toasting it for you. Basically, we'll we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to, to, to if that guy was buttering these. Yeah, pop-tarts. yeah, it's a good question. I feel like we need to know that. He'll answer the question. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so um, so that's really where it was is this community of folks who were looking at life in a different way and. And part of that was food. So um, chocolate was pitched to me um, as like something that could change how your body felt um, and change your like state of being. And with that was this question of um, the, the magic of the cocoa bean, essentially saying that like, you know, chocolate is, as we know it, as we grew up with it, is this more heavily processed, sweeter thing that's cut with other stuff. But like mm-hmm. it comes from a bean um, and that if you eat this bean straight, like you notice like there's a pretty strong impact and you can kind of get the kind of like skin tingling you would with a, with a, with chocolate without like, you know, as much sugar and um, with more interesting flavors. So they were um, a lot of raw foodists there and they were interested in raw chocolate. So um, that's where I was first turned on this idea of, okay, chocolate actually comes from a cocoa bean. That's its source. And can we make something that really reflects the flavors and the, you know, the body impact of a cocoa bean more than uh, conventional chocolate does. Yeah. And I think that in just in researching for the episode, like I, I'm not a chocoholic unlike Mm. some people that may be listening um, directly in front of us on the other side of this camera. Uh, And I, I, I sort of learned in learning about like, okay, we have this pod and this pod produces these seeds and these seeds. And when you look at it from a kind of a manufacturing perspective, yep. there's quite a lot of steps in between where the raw materials come from and the thing that we and Miriam Webster defines <laughs> chocolate as a food prepared from ground roasted cacao beans. Yep. Right. Well, there's a lot of things before that. And I think you've literally built the last decade of your business 
at everything that happens before that definition. That's true. I, I love the line uh, that, that, again, it says on your website, which, by the way, just as a, like, a direct plug here, we'll link all this stuff in the notes, but like your website alone is a great education to anyone that's looking to get knowledge about chocolate, okay. raw chocolate versus virgin chocolate versus uncooked, and why is it cooked? Yep. But you talk about the, the existential crisis that you had when you read the dictionary and were like, are we actually making chocolate? Yeah, yeah. Resoundingly. Well, it's, it depends on who you ask because actually there are groups like uh, in the U.S., like chocolate makers groups in the U.S. for craft chocolate that were excluding Raqqa because we didn't roast. So it was, and it was, it was political and funny because we were invited to these groups to say, like as craft chocolate makers as part of our craft chocolate movement in the U.S. And some folks, like as an example, Taza Chocolate um, in Somerville, Massachusetts, in the Boston area, um, is an amazing chocolate, also a craft chocolate company. Um, and they don't really refine their chocolate. Their thing is, um, you know, perfectly unrefined. They use like a coarser, rougher chocolate with a lot of grit and texture. Um, and, you know, so we, Raka opts not to roast. They opt not to make their chocolate smooth. And that chocolate association we were invited to at least sit in on was okay calling that chocolate. But they were like, oh, Raka's not craft chocolate because... To be craft chocolate, you have to roast your own beans. But it can but be coarse. Yeah, it can be it can be unground, but it can't be unroasted. To be so, it's it depends who you talk to. Some people will uh, will say that you know you need to roast chocolate to be a chocolate maker, but uh, we don't. We definitely don't roast chocolate. What we do is basically everything else, including sourcing cocoa beans and every step of the process, which we can go into if you if you like. Yeah, I, I absolutely would love to go into it. And it actually connects to my next question, which coincidental, right? We really link these things together. So something that you were alluding to downstairs that unfortunately we weren't mic'd up at the time, but um, you know, fresh from the oven, like something that's new and something that's fresh happening here at Raqqa, you were talking specifically about how you're looking to expose and make much more transparent the already reduced level of supply chain that you guys are operating. We, I, I think the listeners would love to learn a little bit more about um, the, the really unique thing. You know, most people might say we have a new flavor of chocolate bar. Yeah, yeah. But I think what you're concerned about is we have a totally different sourcing principle of way that we make chocolate. And I'd love for people to learn a little bit more about that from you. Absolutely. So um, uh, really most of the team's fuel for running the company is – about meaning and about trying to find ways to live that are more fulfilling. Like as a whole, I think the frame for talking about transparent trade, which is Raka's commitment to um, how we source our cocoa beans, uh, comes from this place of saying, you know, how do we thrive as individuals? And for us, the answer is chocolate provides this awesome opportunity because it bridges uh, essentially like struggling economies with like booming economies. Uh, the, 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 the core ingredient is sourced from almost exclusively from places that pay only low wages uh, for labor um, and sold almost exclusively to places that, you know, um, have more thriving economies. So yep. there's this bridging ingredient. And as such, it's an opportunity to really reflect on the question of, OK, you know, how can folks in two different types of economies potentially create long term relationships that are mutually beneficial to both of them? Um, so what we're interested in doing is. Um, is kind of leaving is what we're interested in doing is, is optimizing like you know human health and well-being broadly in the world and we, it turns out that's a lot harder than we thought um, um, and what our, our the current state is that we express that through transparent trade so transparent trades are a set of three commitments for all of our cacao sourcing one of them is that we source directly so 
a typical supply chain for cacao is a small shareholder farmer selling to um, what in a lot of countries is called like a coyote or um, and they'll basically be folks who will just collect small amounts of cacao beans. And like a broker them. almost that exactly. would then transport them to a larger warehousing facility yep, exactly. also in the native country. Exactly. And then, so then that, that person will bring it to a, a centralized area where it can be fermented and dried. Um, and then that, uh, the place that's fermenting it will sell it to an, uh, an exporter who will sell it to an importer who will sell it to a chocolate company. So you've got like a chain of like five or six parties involved in the transaction. Um, and... Um, what we're interested in doing is understanding exactly what farmers are paid. And so simplifying that supply chain down to fewer nodes makes it easier for us to see what farmers are paid because we don't have to, we don't have to ask a, a telephone game of you know, five or six parties back. We can just say, okay, we bought it from this cooperative. Is that cooperative willing to share what they pay farmers or not? Um, so with that simplicity comes better transparency. So one, we have a commitment to direct purchasing. Two, we have a commitment to transparent purchasing. So we publish what we pay um, for all of the cocoa beans we buy. And we're also rolling that back even further with publishing what's called farm gate pricing, which is what the cooperatives pay the individual farmers. That'll be on, it's already on, on our website um, for all of our cocoa beans. And it's also going to be on all of our labels. We're rolling that out next. Um, and our third commitment is for pricing stability. So one of the challenges for being a farmer uh, uh, in like tropical regions is like income fluctuations. I'm assuming exactly. It's like what would you do if someone told you your what you're paid could go down twenty percent next year if you have a family? It's like that doesn't happen in developed countries usually. I mean, obviously you can lose your job, um, but if you're working the same job, you know you're you're not usually worried about fluctuation in terms of the value of your labor. The same number of hours if you're doing farming work can produce a substantially less income or more. So. We take that volatility out by paying a premium and then guaranteeing that premium will always be, that our price will always be consistent unless we're negotiating like an order of magnitude more volume. So <clears throat> we're going from buying two tons of beans to three tons of cocoa beans. Farmers don't need to worry about um, uh, price negotiation. They can trust that they get, they get paid the same premium they, they are this year as they did last year. And if we want to buy 10 times as much for some reason, um, we can go to the negotiation table and say, okay, what, what makes sense for you guys? So... Um, you know, we really consider ourselves beginners. One of the challenges I think it's interesting we can dig into in this podcast a bit is, um, is, is, is greenwashing, essentially, which is like these economic issues, as we've learned, as we've grown, are more complicated than is easy to sum up in a couple of lines oftentimes. Um, so the question of really what's best for a community changes from community to community. So we, we source from uh, three different countries um, and those countries are just for the record. Yeah, those countries are um, Peru, Tanzania, and Dominican Republic. Um, and we're just starting a new relationship with a, with a cocoa farm and uh, cooperative in, in Uganda. Um, and what people need in each of those places is different. What how far a dollar goes in each of those different places is different. Um, and uh, you know, so the, the makeup of people buying and selling cocoa beans in each of those places is different. And so it doesn't always translate super well to just say, okay, we're paying. Um, or the cooperative we're buying from paid a 20% premium above local market price to the farmers. That's a great first step, and it's something other chocolate companies aren't saying, and we're essentially one of the first chocolate companies ever to do that, is saying not just publishing the price we pay the, uh, the exporter, the cooperative, but also the prices they pay their farmers and what those are relative to local market price. Um, but for us, that's our first step, is saying that like if folks in these countries have an opportunity to be paid more than they are of the regular market price, um, 
you know, that cash should translate to greater opportunity for them. Um, so we use our, our comparative uh, data as what the farmers were paid relative to local market. Um, so as an example of this, um, we sourced from a um, cooperative called Coco Camille um, in Tanzania. Um, and our friend Simron is the person who uh, manages that. I think that, we talked about group. him a little bit in our first phone call. Yeah, but, exactly. And so, you know, Simron uh, travels between Tanzania and the U.S. And when he came to Brooklyn last, we, we sat down and talked about it. And he, he said, you know, um, I'm selling in uh, one of the uh, poorest areas of Tanzania, at least the low, it fetches the lowest price for cocoa beans. And I'm only selling twice a year. And when I, when I start buying all of the other buyers of cacao uh, increase their prices to match mine because uh, the farmers will sell only to me because I'm essentially lifting the You're market. The price. higher buyer. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So he can shift a whole, uh, you know, a small micro economy there by saying, you know, I found a buyer, Raka, who's willing to pay more for beans um, as part of their story and what's important to them and, uh, and lift a market himself basically by, by paying more for those cocoa beans. That's incredible. <clears throat> That's it. So, you know, I have two follow-up questions and I, like I said, we'll go off script a little bit because some of this stuff, like I personally think that you hit on a really important topic, which is this, this notion or this idea of like, let's just run the playbook that's kind of good for everybody mm. when you're dealing with such a volatile economy, right? These are different economies that have, they're subjected to different type of environmental impacts yep. that could affect the way that they're able to price their goods or the labor shortages or labor overabundance, whatever it might be. Yep. I, I'm interested in two things. You know, One is how do you guys gauge the quality of the chocolate, mm -hmm. right? And secondly, how are consumers, right? So you have a massive load that yep. you're taking, right? Yep. So there's so much of clearly your mental energy is being devoted to <coughs> all of the sourcing and the sustainability and the micro economies that are being created around your chocolate. Yep. But then like Zach, the, the lowly dude hanging out in the whole foods yeah. has to, has to understand this in a very limited amount of space, yep. despite Raka's clear effort to inform me to the nth extent. So yep. first is, you know, you're looking at that fourth place that you're looking to source from. How do you gauge quality? Yep. And then secondly, how do you communicate quality or like this transparency of price purchase yep. as well as price transaction yep. consumer to you. Yep. I, I'm very interested in this notion. Yeah. So um, in terms of what we seek uh, in quality, the, the first the first thing is bean samples. So um, uh, a cooperative will send us, you know, 10 pounds of cocoa beans. We'll make a test batch from that. Um, and what we'll look for is um, in addition to just organic certification, which we require for, uh, for all of our products, we'll look for, a flavor profile that's exceptional from the other beans that we have. So we want to be able to basically have, you know, a full palette we're painting from. If, if we already have a cocoa bean that's really fruity, um, we might want one that's, you know, really earthy to say like, okay, this is going to be, we're going to be able to, um, do, to do more with a nice variety of flavors. So um, another thing we're going to look for for quality is consistency. Um, so one of the challenges of uh, being a small chocolate company, growing chocolate company is that, uh, that like if you're buying from specialized um, smaller uh, cocoa cooperatives, those cocoa beans are going to be um, harvested, fermented, and dried in country. And fermentation really can change flavor. So over-fermentation versus under-fermentation and where they stop and how consistent they can be really can change how the uh, flavors of the, of the cocoa bean present. So we're also looking for folks who um, we can have 
good communication with and build trust around, we're going to get something consistent over time because we've seen situations where we got some bags of cocoa beans that were totally fantastic. And then, you know, the, the next, next batch comes wasn't, in, wasn't the same. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's really like distinct flavors and consistent flavors that we're looking for. And then in terms of quality, then it's, it's up to us to, um, to handle those beans in ways that, um, you know, bring their flavors out. So they shine in our chocolate bars and also so the chocolate is, nice and smooth um, and uh, has a great mouthfeel. So those are sort of our tasks from that point. And in terms of communicating that value to the buyer, um, yeah. and I know that those are two like very broad questions, but yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously people listening to this, they've, they've probably seen your products in a Whole Foods, hopefully. <laughs> um, you know, hopefully fingers crossed and, and we'll go through the list in, in another section of like, where people can find your products. But, you know, I think a lot of people may be super surprised even having bought or purchased one of your chocolate bars yep. that like, holy shit, this Ryan guy is like really thinking a lot about like, is he an economist or, right, right, or is right, he a right. chocolate guy? Totally, totally. Right? But, you know, and, and maybe it's a, you know, it's a, a short synopsis of the way that you're like, we try to hit on these two or three key points yep, yep. to our target market, understanding that like to make them a, economist buying yeah. chocolate is a gargantuan task that we can't really take on. Yeah. But we want them to know these two things yeah. about our product. And yeah. like, if they leave with those two factoids, then we feel like we've accomplished some level of consumer education. Yeah. So we asked ourselves this very question when we were doing a rebrand uh, last winter, we totally overhauled our, our packaging and how we present ourselves. Um, and Basically, the, the hierarchy of information on our label kind of reflects where our focus is with respect to your question on uh, flavor and quality. Um, what we decided to do is give center stage to the name of the flavor, to use fonts to say like um, uh, what the name of the flavor is. We've always been committed to like innovation. So we've done things like a bourbon cascade bar. We're the first folks to do that, like to age cocoa beans in bourbon barrels. Um, we also were the folks, first folks that I know of to, to steam cocoa beans above, um, of, above boiling uh, ingredients. We did a Cabernet Sauvignon bar that was above boiling wine. So um, in terms of quality, our, you know, our first pitch is like, hey, you know, these flavors are things that you can't find anywhere else. Um, so unique. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Rare. Exactly. Is it to say like if you've ever been curious about what a, cocoa, a chocolate made with bourbon cask aging tastes like, here it is for you. Um, and then, you know, just below that second billing is unroasted dark chocolate. So um, it's not so much a play for saying our chocolate is better quality than anyone else's as to say it's made in a different way. So you can expect a different flavor profile from this um, bar than any other bar you've ever tried. So I really love it when people try a Rocka bar um, next to like a, a bar of similar cacao percentage by another company. Um, because oftentimes the, the difference is that our bars are brighter and tangier and more fruity. And that is because we don't roast cocoa beans. Yep. And it's pretty easy to see when you try side by side, if you're going for like side by side with a sort of more conventional or really mass produced chocolate, what you'll usually see is just more flavor in our bars than sort of a sort of more mellow or sometimes like waxier, more chill flavor of like a more heavily processed chocolate bar. Um, so that's something that's super important for us to come out. So it's really innovative approaches to chocolate making with ingredients and processes, and then unroasted being a different experience for chocolate. Um, yeah. I, I think this this unroasted thing is is super cool, and I mean totally differentiates your product from at least chocolates that I know of. Mm. And I, I think what's really cool is that 
and you know, you use the word innovation and that's like a massive buzzword that's used like LinkedIn, LinkedIn is crawling with the hashtag innovation. But, you know, I, I think people often, you know, they, they have this sort of misnomer that like innovation means Tesla, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, no, like innovation just means doing something new or different or unique mm -hmm. yeah. that most consumers don't have access to or knowledge of. Yeah. And I think that literally going not by the book per Merriam-Webster, right? And yeah, yeah. It, like it actually enables you from what I've seen and, you know, having gone downstairs and I mean, you literally have like at a minimum 25 SKUs that right, I right, saw, exactly. like 25 SKUs of different flavoring. And I think what's really cool is that truly the innovation is by not roasting, you're allowing that any new flavor that you would add actually yeah. takes on a different taste yeah. than that same flavor additive in a roasted bark. Right, right. So like yeah, yeah. you're you're literally creating new palate happenings, right? Which yeah. I, I think for you know for people that are not like the foodies, I think when you do the roasting, you're getting more of like a Grignard reaction inside mm. of your cacao bean mm. and it's gonna develop more of like this almost meaty type mm. of quality. Mm. Whereas yours, you know, some of the words you use are bright, acidic, yep. um, you know, whiny almost. Like, totally. is, is, am, I, am I hitting those flavor notes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, yeah, and I guess it was another way, another way of talking about innovation for us would just be fun, basically, because it's like, <laughs> if you have a small fun. chocolate factory, like, why confine yourself to, you know, just making only the standard thing every day, right? So like, one of the benefits of smaller machinery is it's easier to kind of innovate from the ground up. So basically when you look at bigger chocolate factories, they have, uh, each machine has bigger capacity, but they're usually connected through conduit, like heated metal pipes that keep the chocolate um, flowing, flowing from one machine to the next. So basically with that to change a chocolate, like the, the cocoa bean, for example, is a, is kind of a headache because you have to pump the new bean through all of the conduit yeah. and like, there's overlap and you have to throw away the, um, the chocolate that's a mix of the old bean and the new bean. But with us, we've got this small chocolate factory in New York with a bunch of creative folks who like food. Um, and so really what we've done is sort of baked in this like, you know, what can we do with chocolate? The surprising thing here is that it's actually a really versatile food. Like we've done bars like, um, like Chantrelle and Beurre Blanc where we're taking mushrooms um, and uh, brown butter, for example, and like working with ingredients like sage, you know, to, to, oh, to bring into chocolate. And gosh. it's like basically chocolate actually does work in a savory way. Uh, it works with herbs. It works like you can smoke chocolate. You can work with fruit. You can work with berries. You can work with nuts. You can, there's so many different directions you can take it. And, um, and do you think that's – is that – explicitly or implicitly related to the raw nature or the lack of roasting that you guys are doing? Or is that just chocolate in general? That's and, chocolate in general, And people yeah. are kind of missing out on... Absolutely. So it's, it's chocolate in general, and, and I think people actually are missing out. And, um, uh, and the reason they're missing out has nothing to do with roasting or, un, or not roasting. Um, it has to actually do with the grocery model, so how we get food into our homes. So in the old model, um, uh, at least in the U.S., you have... You know, you have mass distribution and you have producers who want efficiencies making a huge amount of something and shipping it to distribution centers who ship it to retailers. Um, changing a skew, so changing a flavor from, you know, for us to change our pink sea salt bar to Chantrelle and Beurre Blanc. It changes the ordering process. <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard for the distributor and it's hard for the retailer because canceling one skew and, and introducing our one flavor and introducing a new flavor is tough. Changing the price tag, changing in their databases is all hard. So retailers don't want chaos 
with all of the brands they carry shifting their product lines all the time. Um, so what you have is a situation where chocolate can go in all these different directions and you have retailers who say, okay, I'm only gonna, I'm only gonna devote you know, five shelves to chocolate bars. And you better not mix up my SKUs. You better not mix up my SKUs. And if there's 200 interesting chocolate bars out there, including things like peach and sage, um, you can, if you only have five chocolate bar shelves, you basically have to pick the things people are going to buy again and again and again and again because you're not going to be shifting them. Maybe a little bit more of a novelty product, the peach and sage. Exactly. Right? So it doesn't, not as much mass appeal. Exactly. Exactly. So, so you end up having a situation where it's like, okay, you go into a grocery store and you're like, okay, I, I see the usual suspects. I see mint. I see salted almond. Um, I see you know, orange. I see cherry. And it's like, that's really cool, but there's all this unexplored territory. And of course now, so what you have now in terms of commerce and distribution models, you have the internet, uh, the obvious player in terms of how everyone's shifting buying patterns. Um, and because our factory is small and we've had a lot of fun experimenting, what we're doing is actually this program called First Nibs, which is just a monthly chocolate subscription program where we're baking um, our creative play into our business by every single month committing to make two new chocolate bars from scratch and really exploring the whole culinary map. You know, like this last month's bars were um, summer themed. Every month's a different theme. So we picked popsicles and we did a cherry creamsicle bar. Which was baller. Nice. Totally. If there was smell of it, I mean, honest to God, I, I tasted this one and I was like, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, this is one of the things that's fun. It's really, it's like, you know, in some ways it makes good business sense because you're saying, you know, can we be first to market in a space where there's less competition? And build a product that uh, that lasts. Now, are those are those in your month to month? Uh, are are those exclusively done like Shopify store kind of thing? Yeah, so online only. You don't take those to retailers. Exactly, online only. We don't take them to retailers. Although we have been discussing that, but right now the only place to get it is online. So um, we've been testing this exclusive direct to consumer recurring subscription model. Um, uh, yeah, and so that's a place for us where we have a lot of fun. You know, it's like the team gets inspired thinking like, what can we do this month? What can we do this month? And it's always changing. Um, uh, and for people who are interested in like breadth experiences who say, you know, for me, this experience is something that's worth it where every month I want to like be in a different place with chocolate and see what's possible. Um, it's basically their only choice right now. Right. So our hope is that we can, you know, continue delivering in a way that like keeps them happy. Now, I think what's really cool and you know, my brain immediately goes to, okay, well, when you start flexing this like D to C muscle and things happen online, as opposed to a Whole Foods, which I'd love to kind of elaborate a little bit on, yep. clearly two different models. And obviously Whole Foods is a company that I would say has recognized your value proposition and mm -hmm. is like, hey, we really buy into what these guys are doing. Mm -hmm. But I think that this D to C model gives you a capability Man, you literally have a one-to-one -one relationship with yeah. every consumer that buys your product. You can get ratings, yeah. things as simple as a rating, things as maybe as important as these are what these are the five things that are really important to me about yeah. products in general. Yeah. These are the flavors I'd like to see. You can really, really play yeah. like you guys have a really impressive, beautiful Instagram, and you can really play with all these channels yeah. when you have a direct lever to say, oh, like, is it going to be sage or basil this month? Yeah. Well, what did the crowd think? Exactly. Right? And then exactly. kind of demand a little bit more revenue because the consumer is getting to influence the choices yeah. that yeah. are being yeah. made. Absolutely. Um, yeah, which is rather than Whole Foods yeah. influencing yeah. the choices that consumers can make, yeah. um, which I think is interesting. Yeah, it's, it's I mean – it sort of sums up under this banner of directness, right? So we talked about with transparent trade, 
removing some of the complexity of the supply chain so we could see what the farmers were being paid and have a better sense of what's, what our impact actually is on the sourcing side. We're talking about exactly the same thing on the sales side of saying, you know, when you go D to C, when it's not going to a distributor first and when it's not going to a retailer first, you're, you're way closer to your customer. And there's a way to have, I mean, really in the end, I, what I think, I mean, business is a scary word and I came into it, you know, not being a business person, not coming from business background, having my own objections to what business was about. Um, but really, I think what successful business is about is about, you know, relationships. Like if your business is going to thrive and last, you have to have people who trust you and care about what you're doing. Both the workers and the buyers, yeah, right? Both exactly. the consumer and the buyer. The stronger those relationships are, the, the basically the better your, off your business is because anyone can come in and take your business away from you if they can swap out the relationship you have with your customers or with your suppliers with, with, a, with, with a stronger, better relationship. So in a D2C model, being able to listen like you're saying and say, hey, what are you guys really interested in having in your chocolate? What did you really like? Like, what are we doing that's great? What do you hate? Like, how important to you is minimal packaging? You know, like, is it really important that these bars are, you know, have compostable packaging and like, you know, like, or, you know, are you really just only into super dark stuff? Like, is our, is our, our customers segmented by um, people who want really, really dark chocolate and really, really light chocolate? Or is it by like, really like wild and extreme varied flavors versus like, or is it people who want sort of classic, um, you know, I want my apple pie, I want my pumpkin pie, I want like stuff that's more um, like nostalgic. So in learning those things, um, like exactly as you're saying with D2C model, we can kind of track more quickly into releasing products that people are, the most people are stoked about and really learn what's not out there because there's no way our companies, any company is really going to succeed if they're not fi like quickly understanding where opportunity is and saying, Hey guys, let's like make life better by listening to what people want and doing more of that. Right. Um, be it flavor or be it like, you know, sourcing or environmental impact, things like that. Yeah. I think there's this, um, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a thought in my own head and we can sort of leave this to be thought about, right? We don't have to answer every question on the show, but it's, you know, I think what's the famous Henry Ford quote, right? He says mm. that if, uh, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Uh, I see, I see. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's, quite frankly, I think if you 10 years ago would have asked people what they were looking for out of a chocolate bar, <laughs> they would have told you, I want a delicious chocolate bar, yeah. right? They, they wouldn't have used the word raw and they probably wouldn't use words like tantric yoga shop. Right, right. right? Exactly. Like, um, and, and I just think that that's, that's something really interesting and potentially it doesn't, it's not necessarily a con of the D to C model, but I yeah. do think that very interestingly, Apple or Ford yeah. or Raka, right? Like the question of, well, when do I listen to this kind of inner calling and my team's yeah. inner calling and how do we stay true on the path yeah. versus who's buying our product, yeah. the general zeitgeist. Absolutely. Um, but like I said, I think that's more of just like a, yeah. fun question to kind of noodle on and think yeah. about because it, I think it does introduce an element of, you know, maybe it can enhance your vision yep. or it could dilute your vision yep. depending on how strong that vision is in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't, I I'd certainly agree with you that the, how much we pay attention to our own inner voice and how much we listen to feedback from the, the market is a really interesting, uh, like philosophical question. It is. It, yeah. I, and I, I get that sense from you that you like those kinds of questions, but I, I yeah. think it's, it's what I can imagine. And I, I guess, you know, as I'm, as I'm noodling on it, right. You can think, well, the packaging, 
right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something that we that we tweak around. Like, is it compostable? Is yeah. it recyclable? Is it a combination of both? Is it made from like recycled bags? Right, yeah, right. I don't. I don't even know where all the pro- the product could come from. Yeah, yeah. The core chocolate product. Mm, I don't know. Maybe it's an ingredient that yeah, I don't yeah. even know about. Right? You have a limited source of knowledge too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe somebody out in Tanzania is like Ryan. Yeah. If you could just put yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah. into the chocolate. Yeah. Um, but I think as long as you're being a steward of the brand, which a decade in, I mean, I'm just so impressed with one, the taste, like it's just awesome yeah. to the, the entire story that backs up the taste yeah. and why I'm like, this is more fulfilling than just a chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like you're going to leverage that directness yeah. to bring tremendous value to your customer. Yeah. And I don't get the sense that you're going to lose your direction at all. Right, right, you've right. been marching to the beat of your own drum for a decade. It's true. And as we, as I listen to you a bit more talking about this, I think that it's become a little bit clearer in me this sort of question, some more insight on this very question of how much do you listen to yourself and how much do you, you know, take feedback from the outside. Um, I think really the, uh, the truest form for me is, um, is our whole team being in touch with what matters to us um, and like working from that place. Um, and then if that feels true, it's going to give us like wind in our sails always, right? Yep. And if we then release products that matter the most to us and, and functionally that matters the most to us, ideally there'll be, and we communicate that well, people out there will see that and say, oh, what matters most to Raka is flavor and here's the flavors they deeply, passionately love. Bold print. resonate Bam. or not. And what you're really doing is you're saying it's, um, you know, you're being, you're sort of leaning all the way into who you are and what makes you feel joyful. And if that's different from what makes other people like joyful and healthy and happy enough, then you can fail on that, you know, but you really still, um, uh, you know, you fail on the thing that is really you, you're still presenting yourself as a team to the world saying like, we care about these things enough that, you know, we're leading with our, with our insides. And if people out there are saying, you know, hell yeah, I've always wanted to be able to like eat my chocolate bar, crumple up the wrapper and put it in my compost bin, take it to my farmer's market and be composted. Like right. I care about that. And if they don't, then it's like, great, but at least you're authentic. And if you fail, you know, you know, hopefully it doesn't kill your business. Yeah. Um, but, Absolutely. Um, but, but at least you fail for who you were. I mean, I would, I would much, that's really where I come from is like, is, um, and so it's to the extent that we're listening to customers about where we go, it's, listening to customers, being sensitive, like, you know, do we, as we're in touch with our inner selves, really care about these flavors or these business practices or these styles or this vibe, the way people are telling us? Because if not, you know, maybe we shouldn't be working for this company if that company is going to do those things. Exactly. Um, you know, what, so. What's the, I, I think I'm like Mr. Maxim today, but there's the, it, it's better to fail being the first rate version of yourself than the second rate version of someone else. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, that totally, the, the totally. first rate version of your company right, rather right. than like exactly. the imitation or the knockoff of someone else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's a, I think I watched a, a TED talk on dating profiles saying like, the advice was basically like lean all the way into yourself. It was it was a TED talk on like hacking um, uh, OK Cupid or something like that by like a woman who did computer programming and said like I'm gonna reverse engineer like the perfect profile for myself. And one of her lessons was like be all the way you. Like if you think like you know I'm gonna a, re- a bunch of people aren't gonna like the fact that you love knitting. Like there's a small them. percentage who will. And like with you shining in that way, you're gonna like have this filter of people who don't like that thing. They're gonna leave. But all people who resonate with those things are going to resonate with them. So you really, you step all the way into yourself. And 
to the extent that business can do that for our team, um, I'm stoked to be a business person, you know, running a team. And if, if we can't do that, even if we make money um, and grow a big business, I consider it a failure. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's amazing, and I mean you're. Your perspective is, and we we welcome all kinds, right? So we're really focused on hospitality entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, I, and I think we broadened our definition of what mm -hmm. hospitality means, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a Southern guy, and hospitality in my brain is taking care of someone, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. it's considering them and taking care of them, and of mm -hmm. course we talk to the the chef owner of a restaurant and his definition of hospitality is like, I just want to make you a delicious meal and have mm -hmm. you feel comfortable in my yeah. restaurant. And I, I think for you, right, obviously the word entrepreneur is so clearly pronounced, but I also mm. think that there's this really strong sense of hospitality mm. in you, like mm. in the brand ethos, if you will. I don't know if you've ever done that mapping before <coughs> of, of Raka, but it's so clear that like, you want to be a great steward of the brand, mm. but you also want to be a great steward of the mm. people that get to partake in the brand as well as the company that you're building, right? Yeah, Which yeah. I think is like a really interesting twist. So like I said, we're being creative with what hospitality means. Yeah, yeah. But uh, hey, if you're not being creative, like you don't get all these beautiful chocolate bars that we have and totally. you don't have this business. Totally. Because if you're just doing what everybody else is doing and thinking like everyone else is thinking, you're just eating Mars bars. Right, right, right. Or right. Hershey's bars. Yep, absolutely. So... Taking a quick pivot, less philosophical, less, much I'll more. Work, I'll do my best. <laughs> right. I, I know. Now, now, I will push us to be philosophical about the next section. Okay. Typically digging in, we talk about what you would do if you had more time of the day. But today, screw that. Right? Okay, great, great. With, with, I have answers to that. With six different chocolate bars here on the screen, I'm like, Let's dig into the freaking chocolate. Like, let's taste some of this stuff. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe we just like talk about the bars. Like, maybe look at one and say, "This is where my brain was when I thought yeah, of yeah, this yeah. concoction." Sure. And then I'll make like some ums and ahs so that people are really jealous. Um, <laughs> and maybe like if I get one email of someone being mad that I'm eating, that would be great. We'll give you a product. And you so can ship one it to them. email. Hey, first you, person you heard email. it here first. We'll put you on the monthly subscription list if you complain. If you send me an email that my chewing is too loud, you're going on the rocket. You're going on the rocket email. First dibs, exactly. What what what's our should we dive into the 100% cacao? Are we cherry creamsicle? Where where should we start with um, this plethora of options? My recommendation is the the pink sea salt because that's like the grandfather bar. That's like the bar um, which was basically the first bar, one of the first three bars we ever made um, uh, back in like 2010. So it's been like nine and a half years. Um, yeah, it's also like a pretty direct uh, flavor. Uh, there's a little sea salt on the back, but this is best tasted across from another 70% bar. Um, and and yeah, go for and, it. And what am, I, what am I looking for? So maybe we'll do like a, and obviously this sucks for anybody listening, but we're going to try to do our best. You mentioned the word palette, where we paint with our words. Like, am I looking for like a glossiness on the bar? Mm, mm. Am I looking for like crustiness? Obviously, if it has pink sea salt, like maybe I see a freaking fleck of sea, sea salt. Yeah, so you want it, you want it to be shiny, ideally. Um, that reflects its temper. So, um, so temper is crystallization of the cocoa butter. And when chocolate's in temper, it's going to melt more slowly and evenly in your tongue. And if which is been, happening right now. Yeah, right. Like, literally yeah. happening. So, on a visual aesthetic standpoint, you can actually look at colors of cocoa. Um, so, if you take, especially the darker chocolates, um, 
from different cocoa bean origins. You can actually see some chocolates are more purple, some are more brown, some are more red. They can reflect reflect the roast or the level of fermentation. So sometimes you can compare those things, especially with like craft chocolate bars, you can like look at actual color. Otherwise, shine's important. Um, and in terms of flavor, um, what I look for when I'm tasting this right now, I'm getting a lot of citrus. So I'm getting a lot of like, like super tangy, um, like, like citrusy flavors in this. Um, I'm getting a little bit of like, um, well, that's, that's probably the primary for me right now. Um, if you taste this next to um, sort of a conventional chocolate bar, um, you're going to get like more. This, this bar is going to pack more punch base. It's going to be a lot more strong, and you're going to have more of an aftertaste. Um, the highs are going to be more intense. Um, you can you can definitely feel. I think what's interesting, and I just just for the record, I have not eaten half of a bar of chocolate. <laughs> I've had like maybe three little broken nibs, mm -hmm. and you can definitely get this like it's almost like it doesn't taste like wine at mm. all, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. if you drink a red wine, the mm. feeling after you've drank the wine yep. down, yep, you yep. have this kind of like sensation, little tingly going on in totally. your mouth, which is yep. totally cool. I totally agree. Yeah, this, there's going to be um, like a longer taste, including after you've eaten the chocolate here than with most chocolates because essentially when we're not, since we're not roasting, you get more volatiles, which bring like a tanginess to the chocolate. That's not in ch most chocolates as strongly. Um, so you're going to get like a big, bold flavor initially. And then even after you swallow, like I can still taste like, like tangy, like raspberry jam, uh, yeah, it's ja jammy, flavors. jammy, red winey yep. type vibes that exactly. are going on in there. Okay. What's next? So we can, I mean, we can take your suggestion and dump, dump right into the 100% cacao, which will be shocking. I'm so um, nervous from here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so, so nervous. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is something I'm really really proud of. We, the basically the darker the um thanks the yeah, darker the absolutely. chocolate, the, the more reliant you are on having uh, great beans and great processing of those beans. So like, if you have crappy beans, you can always dilute them down with lots of sugar and milk and like hide the flaws. But and that's where we're getting like milk chocolate for example which yeah. is like 30 percent cacao or exactly something along those exactly lines. like if you if you you can buy commodity commodity cacao that's like you know has you know if you inspected those cocoa beans that you see uh like that giant companies will make uh like sweeter more heavily processed chocolates from like you'd be less interested in eating them than if you you actually just hand inspect like specialty chocolate cocoa beans it's like a totally different world so um the darker you go the harder it is to hide, hide flaws and the more um, you know, your, your skill with processing the cocoa beans is going to shine through and making the chocolate. So, so here I'm still looking for like that sheen because mm -hmm. the process has still happened. I'm still looking for the sheen. I'm getting a little bit of like melt in my hand, which mm -hmm. is delicious. I'm going <laughs> to lick that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and, and just so I got this, this is 100% cacao. We've roasted, we have not roasted yeah. We've taken it from the bean room. Yeah. We've milled it down. Yep. We've put it in the cacao butter. Yep, and yep. Like this is us. Yes. Like, so we, there's nothing in here. Exactly. Our process is basically um, cracking the cocoa beans because they have a shell on them. And then winnowing is taking the shell off to separate the nib from the shell. Oh my God. And then those nibs are, I actually, you have this bar. I'm really happy with it. Actually. I'm reacting to the chocolate taste, not his description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although the description is really great. Unless you think I'm blowing away with the subscription. Yeah. So the description. Um, so, um, oh my God. the cool thing about this is so many hundred percent dark chocolates on the market, I think have, are overwhelming to folks. Like if you, if they try them, I've seen a lot of customers and myself, I'm like, this is really great. And it's hard to eat. Um, 
what I'm finding with ours is like, um, it's really surprisingly easy to eat with like basically no sugar. Do you want to try some? Come on over. Come on over. We got special guest Charlotte Allen in the house. Woo! She, yeah, she, you listen. Charlotte wants a little 100% cacao too. You can't bring your girl to a show no. and expect her not to eat totally. some of the chocolate. She's restrained herself magically. Totally. Uh, do you have chains on under there? Yeah. You keeping yourself exactly. like exactly. railed down to the chair? I mean, Ryan, this is like, holy shit, man. Yeah, I mean, it's so delicious. Yeah. Like it's, it's making me, so I'm not a, I'm not a really big meat eater, but mm -hmm. like when I, when I take a bite and this is going to sound so bizarre in the second time that I've mentioned meat on, yeah. the, on yeah. the show, but like when I eat something that's like umami, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? My, my cheeks kind of like buzz yeah. almost like totally. this like buttery salty thing and this is that yeah like yeah, totally i've never felt that ever charlotte's pantomiming what what do you say about it <laughs> nice <laughs> oh wow oh my god it's really awesome wait so what should i what should i be what am i looking for here? i think we were really surprised there was a um i guess i should not give away our trade secrets but we found a way to make this way nuttier than most of our chocolate. So I kind of get like a toasted almond, even though our beans aren't roasted, which is really, really nice. Um, I get kind of like a little bit of like a, um, like a sort of leafy pineness, but it's like very, very mild. And it's not, pine is like the wrong word, um, but like uh, that, that's there, like behind kind of the almond. Um, like a sumac-y kind of thing. Sumac, yeah. It's, I mean, I, this is one of the things we're most proud of, actually, this bar specifically, and it's just about to launch. Um, this this 100% yeah, cacao is not even yeah. on the marketplace no, right now. No, it's not. It's, it's, we'll we'll it's launch in my mouth, it online though. in, like, um, in uh, like late September of, of this year. So remember, if, it, if this is coming out in late if September, this yeah. sounds annoying, yeah, yeah. then email me. Yeah, yeah, for your free chocolate. Yeah, for your free chocolate. I mean, uh, AKA, become annoyed. Hurry, become annoyed. Um, this is amazing. Yeah, but we've gotten a really great response from customers on it. Like one after the other, people have been stoked. And um, yeah, it's great for me because, you know, there's so many folks who want to cut down on eating sugar. I think that does make sense for most people. Um, but the fact that the beans themselves can really carry this far, um, and I like, I really enjoy it, um, is, is, uh, is really great. We're, uh, uh, I think sort of, it's sort of a culmination of a lot of like hard work to be able to do like, again, no sugar, no extra ingredients, just present the bean as it is and still make it something that people are really happy about. So now is this something that's going to come exclusively D to C from the, from the online store or is <laughs> it also going to be found in some of your wholesalers? No, we want to blow it up over the entire country. We think like a lot of folks, uh, you've seen the, the explosion of a lot of chocolate companies selling to keto and paleo crowds and just chocolate bars being made with no sugar in general is like, a, is a pretty, um, it's pretty on trend right now. And for us, um, this is kind of like, you know, squarely in that market of saying like, look, if you don't want to eat sugar, yes, you can use coconut sugar <laughs> in your chocolate. But like, that's kind of an analog, you know, maybe it has right. some minerals and maybe it's, it's definitely lower glycemic index. So, um, but you can say, you know, if it's got half the glycemic index of cane sugar, you know, a, you know, 90% bar with cane sugar is equal to an 80% bar with coconut sugar in terms of the amount of like Pick blood out. sugar impact, yep. right? So, so it's like, you're still, you're still substituting something that is, is, um, is really a sugar. Um, so, uh, and you know, to be perfectly clear here, you know, cacao has a tiny amount of naturally occurring sugar, but it's super small. So what we're saying is, look, if you don't, 
want to be sugar cycling. You don't want to be in insulin cycles and, you know, eating out of craving. You just want to eat out of like nutrition and deliciousness that this 100% cacao bar for us is throwing our hat in the ring saying like, look, if you're eating a coconut sugar bar, try this. It's like, we think it's incredibly amazing and there's no sugar in it at all. Yeah. I mean, I, like packaging, 100% cacao, no added sugar. Yep. Buy rock of chocolate. It's fucking delicious. Yeah, yeah. We need dumb. to say more about flavor. Wait, wait. Is that this can, is okay? This is not the you production. You can come in as a flavor consultant. So I realize I'm talking almost not all in our packaging, at least about like quality <laughs> and flavor. Yeah. All right. Next bar. Let's do one more. <laughs> you get to choose, man. Uh, it's all oh. to use that. Okay. So I already did the cherry cream sickle, and I don't want to pass out right while we're here. And that one does have sugar in it. Yeah. Pure cacao and strawberry and coconut oat milk. Oh my god. I can't do the raspberry mint. I'm between the oat. Let's do the oat milk because yep. maybe the oat milk's going to be like the the one that I'm assuming if oat milk is here, then implicitly there is some other type of milk being used in the others. Yeah, we have a coconut milk bar too. So we're a vegan company um, and we make two bars with milk that are alternatives to like cow milk. So we make a coconut milk bar uh, with shredded coconut, toasted shredded coconut that we grind in the chocolate. And then... Mm. Um, we just, you know, shamelessly jumped on the oat milk bandwagon when, you know, everyone started buying oat milk. We said, you know what? Our coconut milk bar has been doing well. Uh, you know, one of the things we want to do is make bars that are approachable that people understand immediately on shelves. So they're not like looking at it and being like, what is Lapsang Suchong? Because we made like, you know, a Lapsang chai bar. And people were like, what is Lapsang? Um, but and so, you were like, "Come on, people! You know, everyone you gotta, knows this. You gotta buy the bar. You gotta yeah. open the pack. Yeah, yeah. It's there. Exactly. So we're trying to remove educational hurdles as much as we can. Um, oh so for oat milk, it's there. Um, and uh, what we do with this? Yeah, we use a um, uh, we use some maple sugar, and we use actually use some coconut for a creaminess, um, and uh, add add oats into. So we're looking for something that's more approachable, um, creamier." You know, kind of, we want this like oatmeal raisin cookie vibe where you're like, it's, oh, I get like a little bit of cinnamon almost. And like, this tastes like grandma's it's, gift to me. Yeah, it's grandma's chocolate. This is it's, grandma's it's chocolate. Also, yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally tastes like, you know, the, the, like Charlotte actually makes these and they're amazing. Like mm. the, the no bake chocolate oatmeal cookies. Mm -hmm. Like that's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Like totally. if anybody does no bake chocolate oatmeal cookies, like, that's the both the mouth feel like yep. the consistency it does have a versus like the one hundred percent cacao one it definitely has this like thicker more luscious oh, kind definitely. of vibe yep. and the taste is definitely yep. cinnamony a little bit nutmeggy yep. kind yep. of fun exactly. I'm, I'm all, exactly I mean. This is like maybe the first bar that my grandma is going to be happy with sending her bars in the mail. I think your grandma like this is way too dark for me. She's like. How's the candy company coming? And I'm like, oh, Grandma, you're right, you're right. I know it's candy company. It's killing me when you say this. Um, so this oh is the, the closest gosh. thing to that maybe is our oat milk bar. And there's actually not that much sugar in it. It's uh, but the oat and the coconut also kind of like make it approachable by being uh, less intense than what you find in something like a hundred percent cacao bar. That's awesome. So we're gonna we're gonna jump to the speed round. Okay, great. It's a awesome. relatively a relatively new round that we brought into the mix. But given that we have literally a chocolate master that has at least 20 different specs or 20 different SKUs, yes. right, of flavors that you could go with. Totally. We thought, you know, we got a lot of people that think, uh, you know, people that are also in this room that are not named Zach or Ryan, yeah. um, that, that think there's only one type of chocolate that can be used in cooking. 
Mm -hmm. Right. And I think you're here to distinctly run against that right, right, mindset, right. right? Because you're literally saying, okay, not only are we raw, but we can put oat in chocolate. We can put Cabernet in chocolate. We can right. put whiskey in chocolate. Yeah. So I want to throw some foods at you. Okay. And you tell me <laughs> which of your chocolate bars would pair best in this particular food preparation. I love so, the challenge. It's great. Thank right. You. So it's you were gonna need you to like pop some synapses here. Please <laughs> feel free to stand up if you need to. Right. We're gonna keep it pretty simple. Two savories and two sweets. Okay. All great. right. The first is you're making a barbecue sauce. Mm, what mm. chocolate bar from Raka are we oh. gonna put into a barbecue sauce? Um, we once made a uh, like a smoked cocoa butter uh, like like chocolate bar for our first nib subscription where Nate took cocoa butter and smoked it in a smoker. And it was uh, far too overwhelming for most people. And but the barbecue like, sauce. But it works. It's like, it like I can see that being like the smoke factor in the, so if you don't want to use artificial smoke and you, you can smoke, you can use a smoked chocolate, which is something we've done in the past. Oh my we God. We don't okay. currently sell it. So I don't know if this is a, if this is an appropriate response. No, this but it's is been, a, it's, it's a, it's a rock, it's a, it's a legacy. You know? Anyone listening that wants to have some user generated content, you can request the, the barbecue bar. That's is true. What, is what I'd like to, to dub this as. All right. Switching gears. We're going from savory to sweet. Great. Brownies. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I would. Hmm, so with brownies, not to not to make with brownies, but to eat with brownies. To, to make with brownies. Oh, to make with brownies. You're going to make brownies, and you have to use oh, one God. of your chocolate bars. I mean, I'm going to go with something we just tasted today, which is the 100% cacao bar. Because what I would encourage someone to do is to see how awesome you can make your brownies with basically low to no sugar by just using an amazing chocolate bar. Like this would be like. A different kind of brownie. Would this you, be? Would this be the kind of bar that would let your grandma know that you have a legitimate chocolate bar shop? Yeah, exactly. Like okay. this is this is the grandma's heart winning bar. It's like <laughs> if you've ever been to the, the, there was once a, a, a I guess I'll I'll stop on the philosophizing so we can bang, bang these out quickly. But all right, third one, and this is a total total curveball, and Great. I know it's going to be a bit of a challenge, but mole, mole, nice. Um, I would go. Let's see here. We've made a bar um, with like with orange, with orange infused cocoa butter. So basically like boiling cocoa butter with oranges in it and pressing out the orange solids and making a chocolate bar with orange. I think that could twist a mole into like kind of a little bit of like like fruity refreshing note in the background, which would be which would work really well. Oh my gosh. Some chipotle, some yeah. orange cacao, some orange cocoa butter. Totally. Okay. Last one. We're making a massive vanilla ice cream hot fudge sundae. Nice, nice. Totally. And we're, and we're just going to slather that bad boy. <laughs> Bananas, we got peanuts, and we're going to slather it with one of your chocolate bar hot sauces. Nice. What are we making? I would melt down our bananas foster bar oh my because goodness. already that has Let's uh, go. burnt sugar in it, it has vanilla in it, and it has bananas ground straight into the chocolate. So you're going to get bananas shining through in the chocolate to go with your delicious melty uh, vanilla ice cream. All right. And the, the bonus round, <laughs> what, what's a food that you wish you would make with your chocolate bar? Um, that's amazing. Let's see here. God. Um, food that we would make with the chocolate bar. So not a flavor you would add to a chocolate bar. 
but a food you want to be able to be like, I think if I put my chocolate bar yep. into this fucking thing, yep, 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 then totally, it would just totally. be next level. I think what I would love is like, um, like a really interesting cake as a base with like a very thin layer of, of chocolate in the center. I'm like, I love carbs. Um, and I'm thinking about like, uh, like a simple pound cake, for example, with a chocolate that shines through. So we used to make um, a, a mint and nibs bar that had all this amazing crunch in it. Yeah. And then a really nice mint also. So I can see that being like the kind of accents off of like an amazing pound cake. And and would just break up the, the monotony of a pound cake. Right, exactly. It's right? like, like a little bit of, And you just bump it in a direction. You don't need to take it too far. Yeah. Like I already love this thing. But and a like, bit of crunch. Exactly. That layer in the center, I can imagine being like, you know, a thin like ribbon that breaks with your fork as you as you move your fork through it, and then kind of melts in its own way. With so you could make that into you could make like a ganache, right? Exactly. Out of that. Yep. Exactly. Now, I mean, we're really off the handle here, but <laughs> but I what like we should to, do is we should be offering free chocolate to people who make these things and then share either share them with us or photos of them with us because we're happy to do that also. Oh my God. Take listen. our ideas, please. And yeah, listen, life. if anybody if anybody wants to make a mole and send us photos of the mole, like I think we'll get you on a listserv totally. of some type. No, we can that's, give you the chocolate for it. For sure. This was, okay, easily the tastiest lightning round that we've had, right? <laughs> yes. That was amazing. So Ryan, tons of things are working at Rock, right? Mm -hmm. Tons of things, like, the flavors are working, the story <coughs> is working, the team is working, literally yep. late into the night. Yep. You're working. There's a section called 86. Are you a restaurant industry guy? Have you yeah, ever yeah, been, sure, sure, right? So you know the term, yeah, right? Absolutely. 86. Yep. 86 is we're out of something, right? Yep, 86. Yep. What's something that in 10 years of doing this, mm -hmm. you've had to 86? Yeah. You've been like, you know what? Like, whatever this is, yep. it ain't working. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, we we focus on what's working. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times it would be really beneficial for people that are thinking about opening their own thing to hear what didn't work. Yeah, what's yeah, something sure. that we're like, we gotta get rid of that thing. Yeah, there's 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 lots been lots of stuff. I mean, just last year we canceled a whole product line, which was um, our chocolate uh, sauce essentially. So what we wanted to do is say, um, you know, if you look at chocolate sauces, they're really heavily processed. And we've always been interested in offering things that are closer to the cocoa bean and less processed. So we were selling a chocolate sauce to Whole Foods for their um, Allegro Espresso cafes. So inside of a lot of the Whole Foods stores are the Allegro coffee bars where you can buy an espresso, buy a coffee, and you can also buy hot chocolate. So we made a, um, a chocolate sauce for them that was made of actual chocolate. Oftentimes what happens for chocolate sauces is you, you take uh, cocoa, cocoa liquor, so basically molten chocolate, and you separate the fat and the solids. So the fat is called cocoa butter, the, the solid is cocoa solids, and you just use the cocoa solids only in... Um, the chocolate sauce, and the reason is, is because the uh, the fats are the things that solidify it. Congeal, right? Exactly. So it's really hard to work with them. So we were like, hey, we're going to be the first people to make a chocolate sauce out of actual chocolate instead of out of cocoa powder. Um, and so we worked really hard on that, um, but probably not hard enough. And we were overly confident about our product development and said, like, look, you know, when you're buying a hot chocolate made with Rocca chocolate add an Allegro coffee bar, you're getting actual chocolate. You're not getting defatted cocoa solids added to hot water. Um, 
And so we had to go through and, uh, and use heated pumps so that the cocoa butter didn't solidify. Would continue to flow. Became yep. a, and it presented enough challenges that basically um, we couldn't get flowability to be right. And we sort of took our gusto with like flavor, 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 natural, less processing, way more flavor profile. But it was crushed by, look, you guys haven't done enough, enough homework to know that this is going to be easily usable for the baristas who are using this hot pump to pump your chocolate. And eventually we, we backed down and backed off on it. So that's one thing that's flopped. There's been a long list of failures and I can pre present more if you, if you want. I'll, I'll, link, I'll link some of those in the show notes. But I think it, you know, it, it sort of highlights a point that you know, we've, we've come across multiple times you know, in interviewing folks. Is that, and that's if you want to be innovative, right? And if you mm -hmm. want to bring new and fresh, interesting concepts and yeah. ideas and perspectives like there are failures along the way, right? Definitely. And Definitely. and the flawed, albeit very highly ambitious, wonderfully robust tasting chocolate, like something as simple as the flowability of that product yeah. and the ease of use for your end user, yeah. right, was really difficult. But yeah. I like that's a perfect example of yeah. something that people would think like, oh wait, well how does a chocolate company like innovate, right? Yeah. That's a great example. And how does the chocolate company innovate and then decide to like moonlight something yeah. because like, eh, that's not really flying yeah, too yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so last question before we close out. Okay. And that's called, uh, a new section that we're working on is called the curator's plate, hmm. right? And like you undoubtedly have a curator's mentality, right? Hmm. The flavors that you're putting into these chocolate bars, um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about your chocolate. I'd love to kind of spread some love to other brands or yeah. other companies that, you know, and, and they don't have to be in the chocolate industry because yeah. I think that puts you in an awkward position to be like, yeah, by the way, you should also buy these chocolate bars. Yeah. But, uh, but maybe like, and, and typically, right, if I'm working with a restaurateur, be like, name some restaurants that you yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd love to hear like, what are a few they can be candy companies yeah. for your grandma's definition yeah, yeah. or just things that you're like. This brand is really kicking ass at yeah. this product. And this is going to be an education for me and I think yeah. as well for the people that are listening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my gut really still stays within chocolate because so much of my depth of experience is really still is there. And I'm happy uh, showing some love to some of the people who we respect most in the craft chocolate world. Um, right at the top of the list would be, um, well, starting kind of more locally, there's a company called Fruition Chocolate. Um, uh, Fruitions run by Brian Graham. It's up in upstate New York, and they, um, you know, he went to Culinary Institute of America and really hones his skills as a chef, and just brings a lot of care into bean selection and a lot of care in this process. And so, um, his his chocolate bars really shine, and we love we love tasting them. Um, uh, also, Dandelion Chocolate um, in San Francisco, uh, same. They've really they're they really come with open hearts into the industry. They share all the information about kind of how they make chocolate. They work with a lot of awesome chefs. Um, they experiment a lot with different roast profiles. They experiment a lot with different beans. They've really stayed committed to kind of a different side of chocolate than Raka has. Raka's really experimented with processes and ingredients and how we can take great beans and combine them with processes and ingredients. Dandelion has stayed really just in the darks only. So like only in presenting. The, the beans. Yeah, it's like they they almost all their chocolate, maybe even still all of it is just two ingredients, just cocoa beans and sugar and nothing else, or in some cases, just cocoa beans. So they're a really good place to go if you want to learn like the flavor profiles of- That um, chocolate or origins. cacao can have. Exactly. Different roast profiles, different origins. Um, you know, Dick Taylor up in Northern California also does some, some really awesome work. There's a lot of great companies out there who 
you know, really, really uh, like exploring flavor and chocolate um, in new ways. Uh, there's a company called Maru in Vietnam that turns out some really interesting chocolate bars. M A R M A R O U. Yeah. M A R O U. Maru. We'll Maru. add it in an O in there if it's too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Yeah. 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 So there, and they, you know, uh, they have a really happy team also. So like folks who are like, you know, from what I've heard, folks who visit their factory, like really, they're they're creating great vibes for their for their their culture or at their work culture. So um, and that's something we also like love to hear is that like it's made to be like joyful. Also, it's like something we look for in, in companies. And so a lot of these companies that we just that I just listed are are also you know doing things for the craft chocolate community. You know, they're they're showing up at events, they're giving talks, they're sharing information about how they source cocoa beans. They're going in with other companies to buy beans together to get better buying power. Um, so and that makes it a lot more fun for us to be like. Um, having conversations that aren't just like, hey, you're my competitor, stay away from me, you know, we're not going to connect here, but like, hey, like, how can we together uh, teach folks about what chocolate can be? Well, I, I think I think when someone has such a, you know, like holistic view of what you're doing, right, mm -hmm. not just making chocolate, but looking to help the economies of these, you know, third world nations your view of competition yeah. is very different than the view of person that's like, I want to get like shelf space at a Costco. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. no diss on Costco, right? They probably have some great products there. But I think when you look at co-opetition, yeah, you're yeah, able yeah. to view co-opetition in a much more broad and I would say a much more holistic sense when you look at your business the way that you do, right? Rather than saying like, yeah. we just are trying to knock Hershey's off the shelf. Like, <laughs> right, no, you're right, trying right. to tell a bigger story and Hershey's isn't trying to tell that story. Yeah. So it helps you to work with other companies that are trying to tell that story. But I, I brought that I brought that section in because I just think that, you know, the, the people that I'm interviewing, you know, they have such a unique perspective yeah. into the restaurant or the bar or the chocolate industry. And it's like, what a shame that like you would talk to these people and you'd be like, well, they know so much about so many things. Yeah. Um, but we love to we love to kind of spread the word and like let other companies know that it is about competition, cooperation, like helping each other out. And I, I appreciate you sharing some, even like actual chocolate companies, which is awesome. And we'll, uh, we'll link those companies in the show notes as well so that people have access to like look at their products and kind of compare the different ways that these people tell their stories. Definitely. So last question, closing time, end of the day, literally <laughs> nine o'clock, right? <laughs> This pro I hope I'm this working is not, after this. So I, I don't know. I'm just going to end for now. I, I don't know. What I, I, I'm like, I hope this is not the typical ending hour of your day. What, what's the thing that, you know, Ryan's like seven o'clock, obviously your, your sampling room is open. People can come and visit you here in the Red Hook factory. The, the sample room closes at five or six on the weekends. Yep. Your day definitely ends later than that. What's a, what's a, something that happens at the end of like a great end of a day where you're like man yeah do you mean like, at the factory or outside of the factory uh here here yeah, so yeah. you're you're leaving the office and you're going home not the bike ride it could be the bike yeah, ride yeah, where yeah. you're like sampling chocolate as you're driving down the road yeah but yeah. what's something that you feel like happens here in these four walls or or down in the in the factory floor where you're like when this thing happens my yeah. day just feels really complete yeah um the things that I think of immediately are um, we've had like team members who like 
this sounds sort of crazy, but like uh, Will Widmer, who, is, who was mentioned earlier, who raps chocolate bars for us, loved to like basically dance kind of at the machine and like sing like hip hop songs or like uh, uh, lady jams while he was rapping. Um, and we have someone uh, named Veronica also who like pours chocolate bars for us, who does the same, who's like basically singing out loud. So for me, like, again, like I like really for me, I see this all through a human lens, like really human and environmental lenses. And when I see people enjoying themselves, like that's what feels right to me. It's like, like I, I view this sort of from the perspective of death and saying like, looking back on your life, what really mattered to you? And did you do things that you cared about? And for me, when people feel free enough to like express joy or to be in that space when they work, that feels the most right for me. Um, and I hope that I can follow this up with, um, uh, since all of our uh, full-time team has equity in the company, like the, eventually building a successful and profitable enough company that like the benefits of capital are shared with the team members who built this company, because that's really who's making this happen, right? Is the entire yeah, team. The employees. And like, that's the thing that, at the bike ride at the end of my career with Raqqa will be the thing that I look back on and say, hey, you know, these people who were integral members of the team brought their creativity, they enjoyed what they were doing, and also they own something that is valuable, um, like, you know, to show for all their hard work. So, so two closing times. One is when people Tonight, are just and living and one's like literally 30 years from now or yeah. whenever it is that yeah. you're taking that last bike ride off into the sunset. Off a cliff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, listen, Ryan, we've, uh, I've totally loved this, man. Your energy's infectious. I, I really respect, I respect the story that I've been able to read and listen to mm. about something as simple as a chocolate bar. And, yeah. uh, it, it just goes to show Certainly for me, and and I hope for the listeners that you know when you actually dig in, that there's a lot more than meets the eye yeah, to yeah. to the stories and the products on their shelves or the food of the plate of food that they're eating at a restaurant. So thank you for digging in with us and uh, for all the time that you spent in coordinating and for the delicious chocolate that you're pumping out. Yeah, Zach, it's been like an absolute pleasure, and a lot of this energy is your own positivity uh, and clarity of thought and presentation bouncing back at you. So. You've been a really amazing host. I've really enjoyed the time, and, uh, and thanks for coming and spending time together with us. Happy to do it, man. Thank you so much. Of course. My pleasure.